everybody. It's Sherry Dutterer. I am with Dr. Cam. I just want to say good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you're listening to this podcast. And yes, that was a little trick I learned from Clubhouse. (laughs) And I believe that Dr. Kim and I met on Clubhouse about maybe two years ago, and we both were talking a little bit before we got on today, and neither one of us have been on Clubhouse for a while. (laughs) If you are a Clubhouser, please let us know, and we will see what we can do about getting back on Clubhouse as our platform a little bit. Dr. Kim is a Teen translator. It sounds very interesting. She's an adolescent psychologist. She talks with teens wherever she goes. She talks about them. She talks to them. And her podcast is really about helping that relationship between either a parent or a teen, a teacher or a teen, or whoever yeah. is relating to that teen. Welcome to the podcast, Can't, Thank Dr. Cam. So and much. tell me, tell me, how are you? Really? I am actually quite good. I started going to the gym again. I like have energy finally. <laughs> it's amazing what that 30 minutes will do, isn't it? It is. But it takes energy to get to the gym and I was lacking that. Now that I'm getting there, it feels good. But yeah, it was a it's a hard thing to get back into, that's for sure. Oh, it is. I prefer doing my stuff at home. And even doing it at home is hard to get your mind to the point of doing that. Thank you for inspiring me. But yes, (laughs) I did my, I did my half hour this morning as well. Nice. Before we get into the interview, I would like to welcome our, I would like to introduce our sponsor. Here I am stuttering again, and (laughs) I'm leaving that one in for everybody. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Emotional Kids Summit, where experts share how to help kids with learning difficulties regulate their behavioral outbursts. This summit will go live on July 30th. Grab your complimentary tickets. The link will be in the show notes. You will find out more information on my website, sherrydaughter.com. Dr. Cam. Tell us a little bit about what is a teen translator? (laughs) The information or how kids communicate when they're teenagers often gets misinterpreted. In fact, that is the number one reason I see conflict between adults and teenagers in general, but specifically parents and teenagers, is that what teenagers are trying to communicate or what they're trying to do we misinterpret often as disrespect, as attitude, as laziness, and it pushes our buttons. And we respond based off of that belief. And then our response actually then contributes to the conflict. When in fact, if we stop for a second and we start to understand our child's behavior, where that tone is coming from, what they're trying to accomplish, A lot of the conflict is unnecessary and we as the adults can prevent it from happening. That's what I do. I have a really selfish question to ask is how old can a teen be? 
<laughs> I have teenagers, I'm putting air quotes up, as young as eight and as old as 32. <laughs> okay, I was wondering if they could be a little older than that. They can be. And I, I think a lot of it, and I specialize in the teen years because I think that's the most overlooked. Um, we tend to have a lot of people helping us and a lot of information available when they're younger. And we're also a lot more open to it because we're new parents. And so it's okay to not know. But by the time our kids are teenagers, we've been parenting for, maybe it's only nine years, but we've been parenting for many years. And we think, I should know this by now. I should have this figured out. And it's hard to ask for information, but raising a teenager is completely different than parenting any other age. It is starting over again. I think we want to make sure people understand it's okay to ask for help because what I hear from parents, and I think it's becoming easier and easier for parents to ask for help, but I hear the same problems over and over again. Whatever people are experiencing with their teens, I will tell you right now, you are not alone at all and their solutions. I'm envisioning that teen year, even starting around eight, where the body starts shifting. Some of that stuff that's going on internally, the hormones are changing, the body's growing again, the brain's growing again. I think our body takes a lot of time to catch up to what's going on inside. Yeah. And I think my own personal, is that part of what's going on with the teen disconnect? A big piece of it is the teen brain is going through a growth spurt. And what happens is that they start seeing the world in a very different way. Abstract thinking, more complex thinking is coming into play. And they've never done this before. It's almost like they take a pair of glasses and they put on a new pair of glasses and things come into focus that they've never even knew were there. This is why self-esteem, confidence starts to waver because we do a lot more comparison. We see the difference between ideal state and actual reality or how they view it. Negative self-talk starts coming into play. They also start identifying themselves as a very unique individual separate from their parents. A lot of their behavior, which feels like disrespect or pulling away, is their need to identify and establish their uniqueness from us. They have to separate. That's why when you say, hey, this is a great idea, you should do this, that is now the last idea that they will ever want to do. It could be a great idea. They could agree with the idea. The problem is it's no longer their idea. It's your idea. By doing that, we now claim that idea from them. I think it's really important to realize that healthy development in the teen years means becoming more individualistic, thinking more abstractly, asking wild questions about the world, and taking it very seriously, and realizing that they're just now figuring all this stuff out for themselves, and they want to figure it out for themselves which is hard for us parents who have already figured out a lot of it and we want to save them the trouble. Doesn't matter. 
Okay. Now you've got me thinking about something that happened with my son when he was about 11. Okay. He came to me after a, I guess a nonprofit, a missionary Mm -hmm. came to us talking about Haiti. And they said that there was a shortage of toothbrushes. And I said, what do you want to do about it? And he's, I want to send toothbrushes to Haiti. And I was able to make connections with the nonprofit. And and as soon as I tried to help him with that role, he's, I'm done with this. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yes. You what took a deja from, vu. I know. And what's hard is as parents, you're like, oh, I love that idea. I want to help them do it. But at that age, what's really cool and what's really hard for us is to let them figure it out. We support them. We can say, what do you need? Is there anything I can do? But we let them own it. And this is a big thing that I tell parents is we've got to give them more ownership. And when we give ownership, that means ownership to fail. One thing that us parents want to do is we say, you can have ownership as long as you do it the way I want you to do it, when I want you to do it, and have the results that I expect. That's not ownership. That's letting them, that's setting them up to fail and for you to be disappointed. Ownership means you're going to be able to figure this out. I believe in you. This isn't leaving them high and dry. This is saying, I believe you. I'm here to support you. If you want my support or help, I'm here, but I believe in you and I know you can figure it out. And you may fail a few times on the way. That's okay. We're going to figure it out and we can help you learn from that. Because failure is not a bad thing. Failure is part of learning. What happens when we keep stepping in to save our kids? And I know the intention is good, right? We want to, we really want to set our kids to succeed. We want to make sure they're okay. We don't want to see them hurt. But when we keep taking away those opportunities to learn on their own, which includes failing is the best way to learn, right? We now hold them back from developing the very skills they need to succeed. Our attempt to set them up to succeed is preventing them from developing the skills they need to actually succeed. What we need to do is let them figure it out early, let them fail early, help them figure it out. And if we start doing this younger, by the time they're teens, a lot of the conflict we have is we expect teens to know how to do this And we get upset when they don't, but they've never had the opportunity to learn. If we start them younger doing this, by the time they're teens, they've started creating those connections. Wow, that is so powerful. (laughs) It is. Wow. Changes your mindset completely. It sure does. That's what's happening right now a lot with the mental health in our teens is that the expectations of the adults are preventing them from accessing failure. There's a few things going on with this. And I think that is one. And what's wild is when we keep stepping in and saving our kids, that actually lowers their self-esteem because now they're getting the message that they can't do it. We don't believe they can do it. And that if they fail, that's bad because we're not going to risk that. Now they're afraid to try because they're afraid they're going to fail. That's part of the self-esteem. The other thing is, We don't like seeing our kids or ourselves in discomfort. And so as soon as our kids start feeling sad or 
getting nervous. We now, and kids use these terms now, there's a beauty in knowing more about mental health. There's a danger in it too, because kids and parents are now self-diagnosing themselves as depressed or anxious. And now feeling uncomfortable or feeling bad has become something that we've now said is not okay. Something's wrong with you if you don't feel okay. And we've got to be able to know it's okay to be sad. Sad is a great emotion we need to feel. Nervousness, fear, all of those are healthy emotions. And if we don't feel like it's okay to feel that way, and we learn to either, kids learn to hide it from their parents because they don't want to worry their parents or get their parents to overact. Now they're dealing with these troubled emotions internally and don't know how to cope with it. And it comes out in a lot of other ways, right? We need to be able to sit with them in their discomfort and say, it's okay to not be okay. It really is. And we've got to show our kids that we're not always okay because we've got this Instagram, Facebook, TikTok presence now that we feel like we always have to put on a front of being all together I mean, we've we've got flaws, right? We don't show any of that. And we need to start showing that because kids are seeing a reality that's not real that they feel they need to live up to. Wow. Okay. (laughs) How is that whole concept of mental health, social media, failure, impacting the relationships with their peers, their teachers, their parents, the other staff at school. How, what are you seeing that's making the correlation from home to school and that impact in those relationships? What's going on there? This is something where there is like this, the stress spillover. What we're seeing is when kids have stress at home and they have conflict with their parents, they go to school feeling stressed out. They take that into the classroom. They interact with their teachers. And I know I've talked to a lot of teachers that feel like their entire day is spent on dealing with challenging behavior and not teaching, but they bring that challenging behavior into the classroom, which stresses out the teachers. Now, teachers are getting burned out because they've got all these kids that are stressed out. That impacts the students' mental health. They start acting out. They take that home with them. Now we've got parents who are stressed out because their kids' behavior. We've got teachers that are stressed out because of the students' behavior. And both of that's causing the kids to stress out and we're stuck. We're just now making it worse both, right? We're taking, wherever it's forming, it's, we're taking it to the next place. What I want to really stress, because a lot of the solutions we're coming up with is we've got to get the children help and teach them coping skills and resiliency. That's all well and good. But if we're teaching them these skills and we throw them back into environments that are causing the stress, it's going to come right back because kids don't have the authority to change the dynamic. We need to focus on the adults. If the adults are able to learn how to better interact with kids, if they're able to remove a lot of the conflict and stop reacting and understand what the kid's behavior is, they start interacting in a healthier way. 
they have their own, they are working on themselves and they model healthy mental health. Can you say that healthy, right? Well-being. The kids are going to learn by watching us because they're learning the bad habits from watching us. We don't need to start with the students. We need to start with the adults. You're suggesting leadership training for all. I am suggesting training for all. For teachers, for staff, everyone in the school building and every, all the caregivers at home. Because if they're all modeling the same skills, both at home and in the school, it's like learning a language. You don't learn a language by one class a month, if that, or an assembly. You learn it by immersion. If they're going in every classroom and the people they interact with at school are modeling this language and they go home and the parents are modeling this language, the kids are going to naturally learn this language and become fluent. How do we find out more information about that kind of training? That is exactly what I've been doing now. I have my book, Improving School Mental Health, that I wrote with, I co-authored with Charlie Peck, who was a teacher for 20 plus years, high school teacher, and is now a social worker. I've been doing this for years and working. So we brought both of our lenses in to say, how do we work with parents and teachers to teach them these skills? The key is we don't want to add more for anyone to do. We already see that teachers and parents are already overtasked. We cannot expect them to do more. This is all about learning skills that we infuse into just our everyday interactions. It's not a separate lesson. It's just our culture and community and how we interact with one another. We want to go into schools and teach all the parents through the schools because they've got access to all the parents. We want to be able to teach all the teachers and staff and the leaders. And as they build these skills and model these skills, the students are going to be happily follow along. They want this. They're desperate for this. Yeah, kids, all they want is to meet the expectations of the adults around them. This makes total sense. They do. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at writing skills and looking at our national report card, when they just released back in February or January or February, they released the scores for reading and math. They did not release any scores for writing. I had to go back even further. And the last time that they reported on writing skills, this is what they reported. They reported that 75% of the kids scored at 75% basic in Mm -hmm. fourth grade. Yeah, That blows my mind that kids can't even create paragraphs proficiently. But what are some of the things that you might help kids with even as teens? And I know I'm working with many of the kids that are a little bit younger, but how do you support these kids with writing skills and mental health challenges? How does that work together in what you do as a practice? Here's my thought when it comes to the skills that we're learning. And this might be a little controversial too. The world is changing considerably. What the jobs are, what jobs are needed, what skills are needed in the world are very different than they used to be. I think we need to continuously adapt to that, 
rather than judging it as, oh, these kids aren't as educated or aren't as skilled at these other things that we were skilled in because they were needed the same way back then. It's how are these kids adapting? And I will tell you, a lot of them are not great writers. You're absolutely right. A lot of us don't need to be good writers anymore. Some of us do. I love to write. It doesn't mean that these kids, though, they can go program. I can't program. They can go on. They know how to navigate the internet way better than I do and do research. They have skills that I don't have. And I have great skills that were really useful way back when. I I think part of this too, and this is what I'm seeing kids struggling with because I have a lot of students, including my own daughter, who's 17, who struggles with school right now. And what I'm seeing is that the content that they're learning, and I'm not distant, I'm not distant school. I got a PhD for fun. I love education. I'm all about education. What I'm seeing though, is that kids are not connecting at all with what's being taught. It doesn't relate to anything in their world. They are spending all day long being shot information that is not relevant to them, that they don't care about, but then everything about their value is being judged on how well they are able to regurgitate and share that information back. That's their value. So a lot of kids who are struggling with that feel low value when you look at somewhere else and it's like, you're amazing at something else, but nobody values that right now. It's going to take a lot of change and yeah. we're in, we are in a huge change right now. Yeah. And I often think about, okay, with writing, is handwriting what I should be remediating or is it the access to computer-based skills to help with writing. And I keep having to go back to those standards and go, they still need to write some basic things. Yeah. Even when they go to the medical clinic, maybe it's their parents that are doing it, but they still have to write a signature on that little, yeah, whatever that, 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 I mean, the pad. Yeah, (laughs) agreed. Like we can't not have math. We can't not have English or writing, like those are definitely skills that are required to communicate and to do basics. I think what we need to look at is though how we teach that and the experience of it, that needs to adapt to their reality rather than trying to say, you need to go back to our old reality, but that's not it anymore. It just isn't. I think it's more about adapting to that. I focus a lot on the, right before we go to a writing task, what is it that's going on neurologically that is going to motivate you to engage in the writing task and really try to make it a functional piece that goes along with it. Now, I worked with a cyber school for a while and I had one kid, mom was saying to me, I really need to double my recipe for cookies at Christmas time, because I know I'm going to have that many people that are going to want the cookies. And I said, how about we do this? How about if we work on math, we work on writing, we work on the actual skill of cooking together as a team. We had her son who was 
14 at the time, work on his math skills by doubling the recipe. We had him rewrite the recipe so we could practice the writing skills. And then we had him implement by doing the cooking. It took me three weeks to go through that process. But he said to me later that that was more beneficial to him than if I would have had him write out of a notebook. A hundred percent because it's practical. My, my daughter does not enjoy reading, does not enjoy writing. Does not, but, like, wait a second. I'm going to pause here, you there. What I'm going to tell you, she doesn't enjoy those when it comes to school. However, she reads the news. She knows every single detail about Broadway. She doesn't like numbers, but she knows all of every week looks at what the revenue is. She will plan trips for us and look at the costs and pricing of everything. She will plan down to the final detail of everything. Her grades, actually this semester, her grades are actually doing pretty well, but she's always struggled a little bit in school, but yet the thing she's able to do on her own with nobody asking is remarkable. I don't, I know adults that can't do that. How can we take, yeah. How can we take that idea of planning a trip, taking it back to the school and say, Hey, I don't know your daughter's name. Alexa. Alexa. Alexa's going to (laughs) plan us a trip to Broadway so that we can see the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Okay. That's not going to happen because it, they well, just canceled it. Just it. Closed. Yeah. Yeah. So we <laughs> have to go back in time. We have to go back in time. But why can't that be part of her personal curriculum? Why can't the, I don't, sometimes I get stuck on the, they have to learn biology. They have to have so many credits in math, but why can't be, we be creative in creating that process? I don't know if you have met him. Have you ever met Dr. Chris Nessie? I have not. Chris Nessie actually has created and implemented and got grants in his school. He's in New Jersey. He actually was he his professional job there is a social studies teacher, mm-hmm. but most of his job is creating podcasts. He is actually pulling kids in to his social studies and creating history podcasts I or love that geology podcast or what's going on. He's doing morning announcements with the kids and they're creating a podcast and it's going out and he's teaching them how to get it on all the powers that be like the Apple and the Spotify. And that way it's not just in the classroom that's hearing their morning announcements. It's the community as well. Yeah, that's great. Creating these kind of platforms I think is something that's going to really empower. We need to empower change in the education system and create that reform. Thank you very much for stimulating that thought today. You're very welcome. This is the stuff that goes through my head all the time. (laughs) Mine too. When I was first thinking about going into business, I had these wonderful ideas similar to that idea that I was just talking about was how can we get kids, no matter what their background is in school, from the kids who are severely intellectually disabled to these brilliant kids who are gifted and everywhere in between and get the entire school running a project that gets implemented by the end of the school year. 
For example, why can't the school plan a 5K? What is it that a child that's severely intellectually disabled could do to help prepare for a five a color run? They could mix the powder with the food dye to create the colored stuff. Yeah. And the thing is, that's beautiful about that is when kids feel accomplished, when they feel they've been able to do something, that's where self-esteem comes from. It comes from that feeling of doing something useful, doing Mm -hmm. something. And whenever I say that, parents roll their eyes because they're like, they don't do anything useful around the house. Doing something useful that they feel value in is the key, right? Feeling useful, taking the garbage out does not, when it's something that you're demanding them do or else, does not create a sense of accomplishment. That's just... They're doing it for you just to get you off your back. It's not a sense of doing things where they do it and feel a sense of accomplishment because they own it. That's where that comes from, that self-esteem. It was like novelty as well. Novelty creates empowerment. Finding a way to empower these kids to go beyond, even if it is taking the trash out, how can we create some kind of novelty that goes with it that's going to motivate them? Yeah. Come up with a creative way to do it, something unique or whatever. And following, I think you start with what they naturally are inclined to, too. A lot of kids love video games. How do you use that? Rather than fighting with it, fighting against it, how do you start using that to help them learn a lot of other skills. And what's amazing to me is the skills that they do learn through video games are pretty impressive. They actually learn some really amazing skills through that. Social media, we hate, parents hate social media, but there's so many things that we can do positive with social media. How do we help our kids use it for good? How do we help teach them to use it appropriately? Because it's not going away. Chat GPT, let's not fear it. Let's say, okay, we got this now. We have AI. How do we now take whatever skills we're using and step it up to the next level? How do we integrate that into what we're teaching them? Because it's going to be there. It's not just chat. And it's not just chat GPT. It's the video AI, the all the different AIs that are out there. Photos. I know. It's a little scary. I will say, it's a little scary, but we... When we see these things, I think our initial reaction is, oh, this is bad. Oh, this is going to, they're going to cheat. They're going to take away instead of saying, okay, this is now a tool that's available. How do we learn to teach them to optimize that tool and use it responsibly? That's what we want to teach them, not to not use it because they're going to use it. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. Michael, he's my 22-year-old. He came to me and said, There's a new study out that is saying that they only need to take three seconds of your voice to create a new AI that has your voice on it. That's terrifying. That's a little scary. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where, I don't know where it's going. That's for sure. Yeah. It's going to get a little bit crazy over the next couple of years. And I do believe that we need to have some ground rules, but on the same token, we really need to embrace where we're going with it because it is going to change the outlook of education overall. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's one thing is that education 
And again, I'm not knocking teachers work their behinds off. And I'm so impressed with so much that they do. They have a lot on them. I don't, and I know a lot of them actually that really want to work with the work with everything. And there's so many restrictions on what they're able to do, what they're allowed to do. They have ideas of how to do this. How do we move the big Titanic ship of education to follow along? And I think that's one of the things it's so slow moving because it's so mammoth that it can't keep up with the times. And kids are suffering because of that. And teachers are suffering because of that because the students are suffering because of that. Yes. How do we make it relevant? Yeah. And it takes so long for any legislation to go into effect from when somebody has an idea. Yeah, you're right. The, it, it is not just the Titanic, but it's the Titanic running into the glacier and pushing yeah. the glacier. Yeah. <laughs> we got to re-steer this. It's hard. Yeah, we do. I think our time is coming to a close, Dr. <laughs> Cam. I'm really upset about that, but <laughs> I think our time's coming to a close. Do you have... A, an amazing freebie that you have that you could offer because everything that you said has just been so empowering and absolutely amazing. Thank you very much for everything that you do. But what, how can people get a hold of you? What do you have something that a freebie that you could offer them? What, what's I going do. on? I do. I have my 10 biggest tips that I give to parents that they can download if they just go to askdrcam, A-S-K-D-R-C-A-M.com slash parenting tips. And they can go get my, my 10 favorite that I use all the time. And then just go to Ask Dr. Cam and you will find me. Perfect. Perfect. And usually I take some time and do some interventions, but I think we touched on so many wonderful interventions. I'm just going to bypass that section of the pie. If you guys are really looking for something, you got to go and take those nuggets that Dr. Cam was sharing and I was sharing earlier. Our podcast, it releases on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month during the school year. And I might have to just change that because I've had so many people that I've been interviewing that we may even go year round. You can listen to previous episodes by tuning in to the writingglitch.com forward slash podcast. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe and get notified when episodes are live. And please write that review, share with Apple, share with Spotify, let them know that you're enjoying this podcast. Podcast post-production is managed by Sam C. Productions. And remember, you were put here for such a time as this. And let me just add quick these names because I want to send kudos their way. They actually purchased a copy of my book, Handwriting, Brain Body Disconnect, and asked for a signature last year. And I am donating the proceeds of the price difference for the price of the book and the signature out to the International Dyslexia Association. And those names are Jennifer Griffin, Chris Hill, Julia Dunlop, Meredith Forrester, Maruxa Murphy, Zara Young, Melissa Harborer, MC Paul, and Patricia Keenan. And remember, you were put here for such a time as this. <laughs>